No one is safe. No one is spared here on Locked on Grizzlies. You think because there's people on Twitter, myself included, who sometimes compare you to some grandiose monarch of Memphis that you don't get judged? That's not how Locked on Grizzlies works, my dear listener, my dear viewer. On this episode, we are putting King Kleiman himself, Grizzlies GM Zach Kleiman, on trial. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be that aggressive. But we had to make it sound interesting so you stay locked in with us. Hopefully you'll stick around on this edition of Locked On Grizzlies. You are Locked On Grizzlies, your daily Memphis Grizzlies podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Lucky you, lucky you. You're with us on this edition of Locked on Grizzlies uh, a little bit sooner than maybe. We we had you there for a second. We had you thinking, oh, it's August now, and Joe and DeMichael, they're not going to be around as much. Boom! Here we are in your podcast feeds and your YouTube pages. Thank you so much for joining DeMichael Cole and myself on this edition of Locked on Grizzlies, which is brought to you by our good friends over at FanDuel. This episode, again, FanDuel Sportsbook is the sponsor, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts as proud members of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team each and every day. Make your, sure you're liking, commenting, rating, reviewing, subscribing on YouTube, wherever you get podcasts, all those fun things. So, Michael Cole, before we get into King Kleiman, you, you mentioned this on our Monday edition of the show. Yeah. Your your, your hot take-filled Taylor Jenkins uh, weekend episode that you thought I wasn't going to listen to. Uh, it wasn't really that much of a hot <laughs> take. You actually said it pretty well. I enjoyed the episode, as I always do. I can't stay mad at you, to Michael Cole, the commercial appeal. Look at you, that red shirt, if you're watching on YouTube. You just look so smart today. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I think that when it comes to Taylor Jenkins being on the hot mm-hmm. seat, he most certainly mm-hmm. shouldn't be. At least not right. in my opinion. I agree. My, my counter would be, and you alluded to this a little bit on the episode, who, who are you going to get that's better? What would be my response? Um, if you didn't like the Taylor Jenkins hire to begin with because you thought they should have gotten a bigger name or a, a bigger piece of that puzzle, my counter would be, okay, well, guess what? Guess who they're going to hire? <laughs> if they hire someone new, it's going to be another Taylor Jenkins type of person. So. You know, Doc Rivers ain't walking through that door. And lots of people (laughs) listening to or watching this may not want Doc Rivers to walk through that door. Uh, The point I'm trying to make is I think Taylor Jenkins is absolutely the best option for the Memphis Grizzlies. And as you mentioned in the episode, you hope for continued growth, not just from the players, but from Jenkins himself. There are things he can certainly get better at. We're not saying he's perfect. He's not. He's far from it. But again, the marriage between front office and coach is pretty powerful in memphis probably more so than most nba front offices and that is one of the reasons the grizzlies are where they are that transitions nicely into king Kleiman himself zach Kleiman of the memphis grizzlies front office the general manager for the memphis grizzlies he is someone who again i have i'm guilty of it you mentioned on the monday episode mr Kleiman, not a big fan of that moniker i'm guilty of it because i'm a fan of his in terms of the action that he has taken to help build this Grizzlies franchise. Again, doesn't mean that he is immune, but as I've said time and again to Michael, the first move that the Memphis Grizzlies have made that makes them look like an actual attempting to contend basketball team just happened in the last couple of months, the Marcus Smart trade, where they gave up two first-round picks 
to bring in Marcus Smart and Tyus Jones, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first time they've done anything like that in the John Morant era. Every other exchange, every other transaction has been about long-term assets, acquiring a lottery talent type of player like Zaire Williams, who we'll talk more about in a not-so-nice way later on in the show. Uh, this is the first time that they have taken that step towards true contenderdom. And I think considering that reality, the fact that they've been the two seed in the Western Conference the last two years, they made the initial play in in the NBA bubble. They have grown, except for this past postseason, every single year. That really is substantial for me in terms of just how good of a job, not a perfect job, but how good of a job Zach Kleiman has done to this point for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, Joe, before I get into climbing, I'm I'm a little a little sad right now because oh no, yesterday I I wore a blue shirt and oh, and, and yeah. you and you I think you wore black white I, I can't remember I, I think, think it, it was white, white. It, it was white, white. and I said mm. okay okay I I, I could have just doubled down on my blue shirts and we both would have had on blue tag I could have yeah. doubled down in my blue but for our but, listeners and viewers it's very important to understand we don't we don't we we talk every day about what we're going to do on the show but we don't coordinate our outfits. So it's nice when we match uh, blue and red are, are kind of, no, they're not matching. They're, no, no, no. they're opposites. They're, they're yeah, we're opposites. not opposites though. It's hot and cold. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it, we'll make it better late on our next episode that we're together. We'll make yeah. it. Better, I promise. Yeah. And, and Zach Kleiman, speaking of making it better, Ooh. Uh, that's kind of what he's done over the, the course of the past four years with the Grizzlies. You know, he used to say this thing about success not being linear. And this was the first indication this past season of that being true. Because mm-hmm. every year, the Grizzlies went further in the playoffs. The team improved, you know, whether it's from a wins perspective. Uh, and all these numbers, they improve year by year by year. And you mentioned it. This season, it's going to be interesting to see. I think this is a big barometer year for climbing for the Grizzlies because – uh, going into the season, you mentioned the one move that's already been made. That's the Marcus Smart move. Also going out to get Derrick Rose and, and, and things like that. But the other thing that they'll have to weigh later on is the fact that you have that trade trade player exception available. And how the season goes in the early point of the season should kind of dictate whether they just say, oh, we don't need that thing. Or, hey, we got it and we can improve the roster in a certain position. Let's use it. Uh, that can play a role in that decision. But to this to this point, Kleiman has put the Grizzlies in a position uh, to be one of those teams that can be a championship contender, not just next season, not just two years from now. But, I mean, what, Des just signed a five-year extension. John's extension kicks in this year, and he's got five years total left. So mm-hmm. you're talking for the next five years at least. Like uh, the Grizzlies should be in the conversation. So uh, the pieces are falling in place. Now it's like, where do you go from here? Uh, Of course, like every GM, he's had his hits. He's had his misses. But he's kind of, you know, his his hits have been like the signature, you know, moves of this era. You know, those first round picks that they've got, Mm -hmm. especially late in the first round. And then Joe's pennies on the dollars move. If if I had to kind of like just like summarize what what Kleiman has done here is – is they've kind of emphasized this this youthfulness, you know, this group that everyone kind of, you know, uh, every everyone is kind of in sync from a, from an age perspective for the most part. And culturally, it's it's what I've learned just from conversations I've had with Climbing and, and even others in the front office. They really do their homework on guys. 
So when they go out and get a guy like Steven Adams, for example, they're doing their homework to make sure Steven Adams meshes in a locker room with guys like John Morant, Desmond Bain, Sharon Jackson Jr. And initially you probably, if you didn't know Steven Adams, like a lot of our listeners probably, you know, who are fans of Steven Adams know, you probably was Steven Adams fit with the Grizzlies. Yeah, we'll see. But it's it's perfect. I mean, he's probably the biggest jokester. Uh, he has the respect. Uh, he has the voice. And on the court, he is exactly what this team has needed. So uh, a lot of hits. There are some misses. We're going to talk about that later. But overall, uh, the Grizzlies have done a real good job at they haven't, you know, as my dad would say, went for the gusto yet. They haven't mm. made that big swing necessarily all around. But they've done a good job of saying, hey, we're here. We're going to take that next step in our development without giving up too much. Right. And I think you make a great point there at the end. You said a lot of good things. But what I was going to finish up with as we move on mm-hmm. into kind of going over those greatest hits and misses uh, next here on Locked on Grizzlies, the idea of the fact they've done all they've done and the future is still theirs, right? Like the Phoenix Suns, except for Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, oh, and they, they're going Booker, for it. They have no future. Right. Like if this doesn't work, they're doomed. Like they're going to be really bad. And that's one of the reasons the Grizzlies did that pick swap uh, with the 2031st. It's a calculated risk. You know, Kevin Durant's going to be what, 38, 39 in 2030, something like that. Uh, Devin Booker, obviously in his early to mid 30s. Beal will be in his mid 30s. You know, those are guys that even if you assume they're going to stay in Phoenix the remainder of their careers, one injury here, one flop there, and it's it's really, really bad out there in Phoenix. Yeah. So the Grizzlies have a contender in place that can also build upon itself, and they also are financially stable. They'll eventually have to pay the luxury tax, but they're not necessarily worried about that second apron just yet. They mm-hmm. can keep their core together, and they are in a position to be a contending team for years to come. Consistent winning is something that Zach Kleiman has talked about a lot. And Memphis is very much in that position, even with the John Moran suspension to start the upcoming regular season. We're going to talk about the greatest hits and the greatest misses of Zach Kleiman and the Grizzlies front office during this era next here on Lockdown Grizzlies. But first, this episode of Lockdown Grizzlies is brought to you by FanDuel. Make sure that you are taking your first swing at betting Major League Baseball with FanDuel, getting 10 times your first bet amount and bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks. You'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. $200 that you could spend betting everything from money lines over unders. Who you think is going to hit the first home run? It's all on an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. I know you like that. I know I like it. There's no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The greatest hits and the greatest misses of the Zach Kleiman era so far. Next, here on Lockdown Grizzlies. Welcome back to Lockdown Grizzlies. I am one of your hosts, Joe Molinax of Bluff City Media. I had a piece out yesterday about Jaron Jackson Jr. aligning nicely with our episode about Jaron on Monday. Go check that out at Bluff City Media if you haven't already done so. And I also contribute every once in a while uh, over at SB Nation, joined by my co-host, Michael Cole, the commercial appeal there in Memphis, Tennessee. Grizzlies beat writer for that publication does a phenomenal job. Follow him on Twitter if you don't already, at Michael C. Follow me at Joe Molinax. Between the two of us, you've come to the right place for Grizzlies content, and hopefully you'll stick with us throughout the offseason and beyond here on Locked on Grizzlies. DeMichael, 
I'm going to lead us off here with my favorite move of the climate era. And it's not going to surprise anybody that has been paying attention to me on social media, my writing over the years. It's the acquisition of Desmond Bain. The fact that they prioritize Bain, they have a type, as you alluded to earlier in the show, guys that maybe slip through the surface for or the cracks for whatever reason. Brandon Clark could be another example of that. And in the 2019 NBA draft, Brandon Clark was number four on my board. It was Zion Williamson, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, Brandon Clark. So the fact that Clark was – because Clark, if Zion Williamson didn't exist, guess who the best college basketball player was in the 2018-2019 season? It was Brandon Clark, at least statistically speaking. So the fact they were able to get Clark in such a high-value spot was really impressive. But Desmond Bain – not just because they use, I think it was a couple of second round picks sent him to Boston in order to move up to number 30 to acquire him, but the way they've developed him, the way that they've taken their time with him, the research that they did to your point earlier in the show about how they do their homework on these guys. Desmond Bain is a guy at 30th overall that is not supposed to be statistically speaking in terms of how the NBA draft has worked out throughout the ages. As ever long as there's been an NBA draft, the 30th overall pick, is not supposed to be a max contract player. That's no. not supposed to happen. The Grizzlies hit a not just a home run with Desmond Bain, they hit a grand slam. And they get credit for that more so than John Morant. Anybody would have taken John Morant number two, right? Yeah, Anybody yeah. would have done that. Brandon Clark even. I'm not the only person that was super high on Brandon Clark. Maybe somebody else trades up and goes and gets Clark. There wasn't that much buzz about Bain, and he has become something that the Grizzlies clearly saw and not really anyone else did. And for that, they get praise from me as the number one hit of the climate era. Yeah, that, that was a big one, right? Because there was – I remember that draft really well because there were so many, like, mm. three and D type players right. uh, with those profiles over the course of that draft. Remember remember Zaire uh, – what was it? Zaire Smith uh, from mm. Texas Tech. Yeah. Uh, I think he got drafted by the Sixers. Like 10th or, or overall he, or he something traded, like that. He was traded to the Sixers. And then Mikael Bridges was in that draft as well. Uh-huh. Those two were, they were flip-flopped, right? Yep. And uh, and then you had Aaron Niesmith, remember, who actually ended up being drafted by the Celtics uh, right. late in the lottery, uh, midway through the first round there. And Aaron Niesmith was a guy in Desmond Bain. They were both kind of being put in the same conversations as those, you know, top-tier spot-up shooters in the draft. And to think that guys like, you know, Zaire Smith, and maybe it was injuries with him because he's an explosive athlete, but mm. Aaron Niesmith – uh, his shooting profile at Vanderbilt, I mean, you would have thought he was going to be a hit. I mean, he he, he was a big-time shot maker, and it hasn't really translated. Uh, but what the Grizzlies have done with Desmond Bain, I mean, you, you're, you're right on the money with that one. Uh, another one that stands out to me as well in terms of the best moves is, is a trade for, for Steven Adams. It, at Ooh. the time, at the time of that trade, when you would have got Steven Adams, it really didn't. You know, eh, needle mover like that. But uh, the fact that you got Steven Adams in that trade and what he's done for this team from an identity perspective. Yes, the Grizzlies were already one of the best rebounding teams in the NBA before Steven Adams because you had Jonas Valanciunas. But you went from one of the best to undeniably over the last two seasons, the Grizzlies have been the best rebounding team on both sides of the basketball. Uh, But what he's done from an offensive rebounding perspective, it meshes so perfectly with quite frankly, a team that just doesn't have the best shot creators. So in the Grizzlies are in half court, they're gonna miss a lot of shots. And they have Steven Adams, like he's the he's like the 
the equivalent of Jaron Jackson Jr. as an eraser on the defensive end when you right. think about, oh, some guys are going to beat John Morant off the dribble, and when they get to the rim, Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be waiting on them. On the other side, it's like, oh, yeah, the Grizzlies, Jai isn't a great three-point shooter. Dez isn't a great finisher around the rim. Uh, those guys are going to miss some shots. But, I mean, and Dylan Brooks, you know, we know that story. But you have Steven Adams there to clean up all of that. And that that was a big one for me. And they also got a pick in that draft that, you know, I mean, the, what that pick could have been, what that pick will be, uh, the case is still out there. But I think you probably got more on that uh, part of the trade as well, Joe. Yeah, because interestingly enough, and it's a wonderful segue, because not for the Steven Adams reason, I mm-hmm. was going to mention that as the biggest mistake of the climate era so far. Again, Jonas Valanciunas had to be moved because the Grizzlies offense needed to expand. Jonas Valanciunas was training yep. wheels. John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. needed traded in wheels or training wheels, excuse me. Jonas was breaking case of emergency, get the ball in isolation. Valanciunas is a great scorer in that way. Yep. Memphis didn't need him anymore. Adams provided what Jonas Valanciunas provided without the offensive usage rate. So again, both teams won that trade, in my opinion. But the main reason the Pelicans won the trade isn't Jonas Valanciunas, who they're trying to pass off to anybody that'll take him at this stage. <laughs> Even though, again, I, I like Jonas. It's because of who Memphis selected at, I believe it was number 10 overall, roughly, yeah, yeah, around there. Yeah, and it was Zaire yeah. Williams. And hindsight is twenty twenty, right? That's important to point out. There's lots of yeah. reports that they wanted Josh Giddy. There were other guys, uh, Franz Wagner, I believe, was in that draft. And that was another player yep. that got picked before 10 that the Grizzlies maybe would have selected. They went Zaire. And the reason that stinks, going back to our FIBA conversation yeah. with Jaron yesterday, <laughs> guess who's playing for the select team that's going to be practicing against yeah. Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. in Vegas before the tournament gets underway later this month? It's Trey Murphy the third who got picked 17 overall by the New Orleans Pelicans, where the Grizzlies were originally slated to pick. Mm-hmm. I think that that has to be taken with a grain of salt, partner, because that's the first time we talk about the first times and all that stuff with climate on this episode. It was the first time the climate came in out and said, this is a project. Be patient. Mm-hmm. This guy needs work. We know that, but we believe in his frame. We believe in his body. We believe in how he's going to develop in terms of his talent. And there's no denying mm-hmm. the physical talent, as you like to right. point out, former five-star recruit when he went to Stanford. Right. 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 Uh, um, but it there it's hard. You know, you can bring up Justice Winslow if you wanted, but I'm not going to bring that up because, you know, we don't need to go down the Jay Crowder road. I don't think Memphis gave up very much for that. So I'm OK with them taking that Justice Winslow swing. What bothers me sitting here today is there is a guy who is good enough to be a true three and D player who can maybe even be a little bit more than that. Imagine Trey Murphy, the third on this team right now. We're talking about an NBA Finals team, right? Like that's that's not an over exaggeration in my opinion because he's, he's a lethal exactly shooter. What the Grizzlies need, and he can defend. And now they don't have that guy. They're hoping Zaire can be that guy. They're hoping Jake Laravia, David Roddy, Trey Murphy the third very much looks like that guy. And because that was the pick, Zaire instead of him, I'm going to say again, grain of salt. There's still time, but in the here and now, that looks like the biggest miss from climate so far. Yeah, uh, it's two ways because basically, I like the trade part from the standpoint of you got Stephen Adams. I agree with uh, that. Absolutely. Upgrade over Giannis, and then you focus more on the draft uh, mm. part of it, which is yeah, I think a little bit different because uh, 
we talked about all the hits, right? Getting Santi at the end of the first round is pretty good as well. It's, no one get, bats get, a thousand. Yeah, no one bats a thousand. Uh, but the fact that, again, uh, he was there. Trey Murphy, right? And you watch this dude shoot the basketball. I mean, he, he is exactly what the Grizzlies need from that standpoint. And he can play defense. So uh, that that's the plus. You watch him shoot the basketball. He has been like a, a, a very good sport of floor spacer for the Pelicans in his time there. And they have guys, you know, Brandon Ingram is improving as a three-point shooter, but Zion Williams is a guy who pounds the paint like a John Morant. He's exactly what they needed, just as much as the Grizzlies need that type of guy. Zaire Williams uh, was was thought of as more of a project at the time and things like that. Uh, that's why I said earlier, the, the jury's still out there. Uh, we've seen the injuries and, and, and all that and whatnot. But this is a big year for him because this is the, the year he can kind of, if he can be that player that some people think he can be, the player who showed the flashes the second half of his rookie year, then maybe we'll stop having you know, this conversation, you know, as much. But I think uh, those are key key ones that stand out for sure. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the De'Anthony Melton trade. Mm. Uh, overall, the, the doubling down, the tripling down on you for mm. quadrupling down, as, as Zach Klein That's a good pick. It. Absolutely. For, for a team, not even from the standpoint of, yeah, it, you ended up getting David Roddy, and now he's factoring into the wing uh, conversation. Not even from the standpoint of key, keeping De'Anthony Melton. It's the fact that you traded a player who gave the Grizzlies exactly what they needed. You, this team needed three-point shooting, and he was a playmaker defensively on the wing. You traded him to get a draft pick. He, Danny Green came in that deal, but we all knew you know, the risks that came with uh, acquiring Danny Green. It's more so about the fact that, man, you had a chance. If you were going to trade De'Anthony Milton, go get another veteran player. Mm. That could take this team up another level. And that's why this was the first season in my mind where we saw the Grizzlies not take that obvious leap forward from, you know, oh, they were in the second round last season, getting back to the second round and potentially going further. Because they just they brought in a lot of youth and they took away a guy in the end. Man, I know people say, Oh, the playoffs, the playoffs. Well, guess what? I've been waiting to say this, John. I've been waiting to say this. I can't wait to hear it. The thing, this this whole playoff thing never makes sense because it's a small sample size of games that he was being weighed on. And you look at any star player in the history of the NBA, you see them, the guys that have played, what, 10, 10 or more playoff appearances? Mm-hmm. You can find a couple years in there where they really struggled. You can find a lot of years where a guy like James Harden has really struggled. But you can find some other years where James Harden has looked like an MVP candidate in the postseason as well. So that's, you throw that out the window. We've been talking about it with Marcus Smart. You look at his postseason shoot numbers, they're better than his regular season shoot numbers in recent years. But there are also some years you can go back a little bit further where Marcus Smart's shoot numbers aren't that good. My point mm-hmm. is the Anthony Melton – uh, people were using this playoff stuff to judge him. And guess what? This year with the Sixers had his best season in the playoffs today because it was a small sample size. So that wasn't a reason to let him go. He probably would have been one of those players who would have made some shots this this past playoff run with the Grizzlies. So, yeah, you could have let the Anthony Melton go, but I thought you should have acquired, you know, a, a, a more of a scoring wing off the bench. So it's it's those little moves where it's like, man, that, that one's going to sting and that one – has stung uh, for the Grizzlies, in my opinion. They fixed it a little bit when they went out and got Luke Kennard, right? Yep. But at the same time, that trade wouldn't have been necessary if Melton had just stayed. And to your point, I think Melton's making something like 8 or $9 million this coming season. Great so under deal. contract for Philadelphia. That was signed by the Memphis Grizzlies, right? They're the ones that did the extension. Um, and 
Canard's making 14 million. So I think they have similar handles. There's lots of complaints about Melton not being a point guard. I agree. He's not a point guard. He's an undersized combo guard. Uh, but at the same time, he has the length, he has the wingspan, he has the capacity. I think that's a great point as well. So we're going to finish out this episode of Lockdown Grizzlies talking about the culture of Memphis, the standard that Taylor Jenkins talks about so often. Looked a lot better this time last year than it does right now. How much praise and how much blame does Zach Kleiman deserve for the shift in the Grizzlies culture? We'll talk about that next to close out our Tuesday edition of Lockdown Grizzlies. Welcome back to Lockdown Grizzlies. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by my co-host, Michael Cole, the commercial appeal there in Memphis, Tennessee. I, of course, of Bluff City Media, as well as uh, dabbling over at SB Nation. We've been talking Zach Kleiman on this episode of the show, reviewing his reign to this point, the hits, the misses. For every Stephen Adams, there's been a Zaire Williams. Uh, for every DeAnthony Melton, there's been a Desmond Bain. Lots of pros, some cons, but to me, DeMichael, one of the most fascinating parts, and maybe we could have even made a whole episode out of this, and maybe oh, yeah. we could leave it a little bit open-ended here. Mm-hmm. Um, the Grizzlies culture at large, maybe that can be a future episode, but Zach Kleiman's role in it. How much significance do you put on the role of the general manager who constructs the roster, right? Obviously there's other guys, Tayshawn Prince being one of them that are there in Memphis, helping develop this Grizzlies roster for Jenkins and his staff to coach. But Kleiman is the GM. He is the <laughs> boss man of the Grizzlies front office for the on the court product. How much weight do you bear in the culture conversation? Because Pat Riley, right, of the Miami yeah, Heat, yeah. he gets so much credit for Heat culture and Eric yeah, Spolstra and Popovich and all of those Spurs, things. Yeah. Correct. Those guys in Popovich obviously has front office experience there mm-hmm. in San Antonio. So those guys get so much credit for establishing what it means to be a Spur, what it means to be a member of the Heat. How does that work into what the Grizzlies were because up until the issues with John Morant, things were sunshine and rainbows. They were the most beloved team in the NBA, the fun young team that everybody liked to cheer for. That right. is obviously not the case anymore, and a lot of it centers around John Morant, but it's not just Jaw that has led us to that place. Dylan Brooks obviously had a hand in that as well. How much weight, how much blame, or praise maybe, if you still focus on the positives, do you connect to the general manager for what this culture of the Grizzlies is or has become? Yeah. And I'm glad you framed it that way. The, the praise slash the blame, because uh, you can hit on both of these. And, and I'm going to go with the blame second, because that's the part that I think we got to emphasize a little bit more, but uh, from the praise standpoint, if you look at what Zach Kleiman has done here, we, we talked about doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on youth and whatnot. Uh, it's kind of worked out from the perspective of these guys are growing up together in the NBA. You know, think like those OKC uh, Thunder teams, uh, you know, from a few years ago, those Golden State Warriors teams, you know, with their core of players and things like that. These guys are growing up together in the NBA. John Morant, Desmond Bain. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and and the rest of that core, Brandon Clark and so forth, they're learning the NBA together. And you know, Joe, I've hit a lot on uh, those cultural type stories, and those stories are for, for to show you know the significance of the culture. 
Like I, I wrote about how the Grizzlies love NBA young boys music. That's John Morant. That's Desmond Bain. That's Brandon Clark. That's Jaron Jackson Jr. Those guys, are uh, Zaire Williams, they're all in sync, you know, with who they want to listen to, you know, from a music perspective like that. Like I think Danny Green joined the team and he was like, I don't even know who NBA young boy, you know, was. I couldn't even name his songs like that. Like, so when you talk about the youth, him emphasizing quadrupling down on youth has really, you know, put the Grizzlies in sync from a cultural standpoint. But it also created that other side a little bit, the immaturity, you know, the side that we've kind of touched on a little bit uh, in recent in recent months with everything that's going on around John Morant. But in terms of the front office, this is how I want to attack it. What they said, what the, the main thing that was said was with John Morant, things came to a head. That's what Taylor Jenkins said. Those were the words that Zach Kleiman used. They both said that things came to a head. So when you think about that phrasing, things came to a head with John Morant, that leads you to believe there were instances in the past where the Grizzlies maybe could have gotten in front of this. They could have addressed it. They could have gotten in front of John Morant's behavioral you know, um, problems or whatever the case may, may have been and nipped it in the bud before it became the number one, you know, story of the NBA in March and the number one story, you know, of the NBA offseason and things like that. Uh, they could have gotten out in front of these things, but I think there was there was some some uh, you know, they, they weren't holding you know Jai as accountable as they should have been at that time. Uh now they're trying to amend those issues and things like that. So uh, the praise side of it, they've done a great job of building kind of this core where guys like to be around each other. And, and but from the blame side, uh, we need we need to see you know going forward how the Grizzlies can kind of construct that tight locker room uh, where you don't have those issues uh, where we've seen with with John Morant and you know uh, in the past. And that'll connect nicely to our Wednesday edition of the show, which will be our finals Wednesday that we have. Uh, themed up through the month of August here. I'm going to be taking a look at the San Antonio Spurs, who Memphis has been connected to so consistently. I'm going to take a look to at the Miami Heat and what aspects of what they do culturally, how they've built it up. Because there's some things that Memphis can't replicate, right? Like Pat yep. Riley coached the freaking Showtime Lakers, right? Like there's no, there's no way for him to really kind of mesh and mold into that. Uh, Taylor Jenkins isn't Pat Riley. Zach Kleiman isn't Greg Popovich or R.C. Buford or whoever is calling the shots there in San Antonio. But what the Grizzlies can do is find ways to make those pieces work for themselves. And I think that's the biggest aspect of the cultural piece, the positivity of allowing these young men to be who they want to be and establish what it means to be a Memphis Grizzly. But, you know, there's a saying to Michael, you can't grow up if you're not raised. Right. And I think that there there wasn't enough adults or there weren't enough adults in yeah. the room to allow for this group of guys to fully grow. There weren't enough role models. There weren't enough pieces of the puzzle in place to better orchestrate this process uh, that was this Grizzlies rebuild. And that was a part of the reason for that first nonlinear uh, progression for this team. It's It's impossible to be positive about the first three years of this era without acknowledging that there was a step back that 
instead of it being so much of a, oh, well, you could just say injuries, right? Steven Adams not being there, Brandon Clark. There was a lot of built-in excuses that could have yeah. been applied. But unfortunately, the John Morant thing looms large. Dylan Brooks running his mouth looms large. And that is what people remember about the 2022-2023 Memphis Grizzlies. The wounds were self-inflicted. And Kleiman and uh, Taylor Jenkins themselves have said that to an extent. How do you stop that? That is the next step in the progression of this team and getting the focus back to the on-the-court product. And it sounds like they're going to get to that place. But that'll be our focus on our Wednesday edition of the show, that finals Wednesday, taking a look at some cultures around the league and what Memphis can pick and prod and, and play with from those philosophies. Thank you so much for checking out Locked On Grizzlies on this Tuesday edition of the show. We'll be back with you on Wednesday. Again, shout out to our sponsor, FanDuel. Thank you to our everydayers, people that check out Locked On Grizzlies each and every day, whether it's on YouTube, wherever you get podcasts, like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, all those fun things. For my partner, DeMichael, I am Joe. We are very grateful to you. We continue to grind forth here this August. Stick with us here on Locked On Grizzlies. Catch you next time.